0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello and welcome to today's virtual Commonwealth Club program. I'm Melissa Kane. I'm a political analyst and an attorney, and I'll be moderating today's program. We would like to start by thanking the Bernard Osher Foundation for supporting today's Goodlit event. It's my pleasure to introduce one of these senators from Vermont, Patrick Leahy. He's the author of The Road Taken, a memoir. Uh, Senator Leahy was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1974. and He's currently the most senior member, having spanned nine different presidential elections and administrations. He's the president pro tempore and, and chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. He's also the most senior Democrat of the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Senate Agriculture Committee. In addition to his distinguished political career, he's also an accomplished photographer and a comic book fan with cameos in five different Batman movies. And now, please welcome Senator Leahy to the Commonwealth Club. Senator?
1: Well, thank thank you very much for that. And I enjoyed our chatting just before we went on camera. and You've already shown the picture of the book, the the road taken. Uh, The difficult part of that road was I've kept um, almost a daily journal for those 48 years. That's good and bad. The the bad parts about it is a huge pile. Combined with my terrible handwriting and uh, my wife and others had urged me to write a book. And so we started putting it together. Got delayed after January 6th in finishing it. And that I found that uh, under the rules, of the impeachment of a former president, Donald Trump, that I would have to be the presiding officer of that. So we delayed this a little bit to add that paragraph. I'm glad I wrote the book though, uh, because I think it shows when the Senate acted the way it should as the conscience of the nation, however imperfect that might be, and when it's degenerated into uh, political machinations. And I'm I'm hoping this might be an alert to new senators. We've had a good Senate. We've had a bad Senate. You've got a six-year term. Choose the good Senate.
0: Well, you know, I was wondering how you managed to get so many details about things that happened so long ago. So I guess the uh the daily journal certainly explains that. And I think one of the the moving parts of the book, uh, at least initially in the first part of the book is when you arrived uh to the Senate. I mean, for regular civilians when we visit the Capitol, maybe we go in and we go, wow, this is amazing. Um, It doesn't occur to you that you guys actually might think that um, yourself when you first get there.
1: I do. Look, I was a law student at Georgetown Law School, which at that time was right down uh, just a few blocks from the Capitol. And I used to walk through here in awe. I never expected that uh, just a few years later, uh, 12 years later, I'd be a, a senator. Although before I got too carried away with the importance, uh, I was stopped walking down the hall by one of the very senior Southern senators. And he looks at me and he said, boy, how old are you? And I thought, well, I didn't want to say 34 and a half. Uh, I said, well, next year I'll be 35, Mr. Chairman. Anybody ever tell you, you're too young to be in the United States Senate? At which point, my Irish-Italian temper was way up. I said, yes, my opponent, for one. He loved it. I found out afterward he would kind of go like that at new senators and to see whether they were intimidated or stand up to him. Well, I've been a prosecutor for eight years. I didn't get intimidated by very much. (laughs)
0: And you, you read about how kind some of the um, even Republican senators were to you when you first joined the Senate. Um, do you want to comment on that and maybe talk about whether or not that is the case? Are there still any Republicans you can be cordial with and, you know, share jokes with and uh, and, and things like that, the way the way you did when you first joined the Senate?
1: Well, it's, it's somewhat different than when I first joined here, but I have an awful lot of of Republican senators who are friends of mine. In the, when I first came, I realized that uh, there are moments when senators would gather together. uh, If we had an evening session, they'd gather in the uh, leaders' back room. There was a bar there. I sometimes asked to be the bartender if they want to have it just very private and just be uh, senators. And then it slowly became more polarized. But I learned one thing very much, if I I may tell you a short story on this. Uh, Hubert Humphrey came up to me and said he was going to Moscow to see Brezhnev. But My wife, Marcel and I like to come along and I'm kind of blurted out, what's the airfare to uh, Moscow? He said, no, no, we're we're gonna uh, take Jerry's plane. I said, Jerry who? He said, "Jerry Ford, he's the president. Don't you read the papers?" And uh, so, of course, we went. But then I realized what he had done. He had invited, uh, as a co-leader of the delegation, the Republican leader Hugh Scott. They were very different politically, but good friends, and had an equal number of Republicans and Democrats on the uh, on the flight, and you found as you sat around the conference room in the airplane and whatnot, you found areas of agreement more than areas of disagreement. And I have lifelong friends just from that trip. So when I was in a position where I became chairman first of agriculture, I did the same thing with the committee. Now we had people in across the political spectrum, Republicans and Democrats, but I'd, I'd take the committee to one of the Republican states and I'd ask him to chair the hearing with farmers and whatnot. And then I'd do the same with Democrat. And again, we found that instead of being uh, loggerheads, we found that we worked together to put things, to make things work. I did the same in judiciary. I've done it in um, in appropriations. And um, you, you learn to, to spend time with each other and they see people as individuals. There are some who come in here who feel that they've got to make some very strong partisan uh, statement for that evening's newscast or the latest tweet. Uh, that wears thin very quickly.
0: Well, do you guys get a chance to speak in private anymore? It seems like so many so much is recorded these days like is there a place is the cloakroom still a uh a place where senators can chat i mean do you feel like there are places where people can talk off the record
1: no that that's a good question and uh if you want to create them there are none of people create them because i'm the president pro tem i have very very nice offices in the capra i'm looking out my window right now Of the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. But a lot of times we have evening sessions quite often around sunset time. I'll I'll invite an equal number of Republicans and Democrats for prayer hour in holy water. And it took a couple who weren't very religious to figure that out. And they said, Holy water? I said, Well, he's got single malt holy water, he's got 12 year old holy water. And we have a number of senators that don't drink alcoholic things. We got club soda and so on. But we'd sit around there on, on my balcony, look at the view, and it's amazing how often we're all just chatting, we find the areas we agree, agree on. And uh, uh well, I'll give you an example. We had the longest shutdown of the government uh, during the last administration, the Trump administration. Uh, I was vice chairman of appropriations at that time, but I had brought four people, the chair and ranking member of the appropriations from the House, the chair of our thing and myself. And the four of us sat out there and just talked. We worked out the problem. And the relief on the part of the Republican and Democratic leaders in both bodies say, okay, if you're all agreed on it, we'll take it up and pass it. And they did. And the government opened back up. Uh, instead of these polarized, we can only have one position for the Republicans, only one for the Democrats, nothing happens.
0: Well um you do write and you it was such a great line you wrote that uh and I I'm paraphrasing I hope I get it essentially right you wrote that uh trust was the currency of the senate Uh, and talked about a a specific... It was a great story uh, about a committee meeting where uh, one of the senators um, didn't vote the way he had promised to vote and sort of what happened there. Can you talk a little bit about how important that is to be able to have those agreements and then execute them?
1: Well, when when I first came here, one of the things Mike Mansfield told me, always keep your word. Even if you are going to vote against me on something, keep your word. And... Uh, Ted Kennedy had had a piece of legislation he had tried, wanted to get through for a couple years. The very conservative Jim Eastland uh, opposed it so didn't put it on the agenda but told Kennedy if he could show him he had enough votes to pass it in the committee he'd put it on the agenda but he, of course uh, Eastland would vote against it. So he Kennedy came with him, showed him the list. He, he would not by one vote. He puts it on the agenda. Ted lost by, lost by one vote. Eastland looked down the roll and said, Senator so-and-so, didn't you promise to vote with Senator Kennedy? He said, oh, I did, but I changed my mind. Oh, really? Turned to the clerk, he said, changed my vote to I. And that other senator who had broken his word was never allowed to have an amendment in that committee afterward. And, uh, you know, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> but uh, I've had, I've formed coalitions, both Republicans and Democrats, who, if we knew everybody's going to keep their word, if you don't, um, then the place falls apart.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting story. It's a great story of somebody putting the institution ahead of their own specific interest in that in that moment. Um, do you still see that happening? Are people still, are senators still generally trustworthy if they say they're going to vote for you or vote for your project or, or not? Um, can they be counted on?
1: Many are. Some I don't even try to ask because I know how much they change. Uh, we saw this happen in judiciary the other day where, Amy Klobuchar had a uh, a bill and she could get out of committee by a one-vote margin and one senator changed the vote and, and had committed to her. And uh, we adjourned, and they're going to try to work this out. It, there's only 100 of us for representing a, a country of 325 million Americans. Now, we may have different positions on things, fine, state your position, but keep your word. Remember, you're not representing just yourself, you're representing 325 million Americans who go across the political spectrum. Keep your word. And I think when people stop doing that, the whole Senate hurts. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. I wanted people to see how it could be, has been never totally perfect, but much better. And how we've got to bring it back. If you lose faith, if you lose faith in any of the branches of government, the whole country suffers.
0: And one of the incredible things about your tenure in the Senate is that you did arrive at a time when there was some change, but also some of the giants of, of Senate history were still there. And um, it's hard to point to anyone um you know, aside from yourself, of course. Uh, today, who are the you know the sort of towering figures uh, you know in the Senate? Uh, is that is that your sense of things? And and um, what was that like to be in the Senate with uh, these incredible figures?
1: Well, it, it was almost like a dream. Uh, I thought how fortunate I am to be here, even if I'm here only for one six-year term. I never thought I'd be here for 48 years. After all, I'm the only Democrat Vermont's ever elected to the Senate. We now have an independent as the other uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. But it as I stayed and got more senior, I found more things I could do that I I really wanted to do. I worked to try to reopen my relationships with Cuba. uh, At the Before we had poor relationship with uh, Vietnam, we used what's called the Leahy War Victims Fund to help people who lost their limbs from war, usually from American uh, landmines and bombs. But I had a strong supporter on that, somebody that served in the military, and that is George H.W. Bush, the first President Bush. And when I went over with it, uh, I told them the story about meeting with a, a group of men who had lost their legs from landmines, American landmines. They were going to get wheelchairs. They'd been crawling or hopping on a stool for years. Now, I was introduced as the person who got them the money for it. One man, very slight, no legs, just staring at me all the way through the speeches. I thought, how much he must hate me, this American they fought and so on. They asked me to pick him up and put him in the wheelchair. I did. I started to get back up. He grabbed my shirt and he pulled me down and kissed me. That was pretty emotional. Uh, John Glenn, uh, you know, the former astronaut, was a senator with me. The same thing happened to him. He was not, John was not an emotional person. He had tears coming down his face. And when I told President Bush the story, he did too. And we resolved to keep on trying those personal things. This is not easy. You're dealing with an enemy that you fought. They killed us, we killed them. And now we have a, a college there and outside of Saigon, the Fulbright uh, College. i visited that with senators, I always bring Republicans and Democrats with me, and without making the story too long, of all these young college students, and none of them spoke English as a first language, they started learning at 10, 12 years old. I asked one young woman who was a sophomore, I asked her a question and she said, well, when you stop to think of it, that would be indicative of, I'm like, whoa, you know, it's, a, maybe there's a future.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just an incredible legacy of, of what you've been able to accomplish there and in Cuba. We do have an audience question here. Someone wants to know, um, what made you initially want to run for office? Because you, init- you ran for senator and that's been it. You know, a lot of people run for Congress and then or hold other offices, but you went from prosecutor to, to senator, which is, you know, uh, not not the, the most uh, common way to get to office. So can you talk a little bit about how that happened uh, at a time when you, you know, as you said, you were the first Democrat elected to the Senate um, in Vermont in quite a while?
1: Well, I started off as the youngest prosecutor in the state, which I enjoyed thoroughly. I loved trying cases. But then uh, a Senate race was coming up. And my wife, Marcel and I talked about it. We talked about the days when I was at Georgetown and I'd walk up and watch the Senate. And how impressed I was with it. We knew Vermont had never elected a Democrat, never elected anybody under 50. I was a 34-year-old. I said, well, what do you think? She said, something you'd love. Let's try it. You never forgive yourself if you don't, even if you lose and... The odds were that I'd lose. We campaigned together all over the state. Uh, We had a large French-Canadian population that voted Republican in the northern part of the state, but her parents had emigrated from Quebec to that area, spoke uh, French was the language they spoke at home, so she and her father campaigned in French. We had another area heavily... Italian American and stone carvers. My mother was a first generation Italian American. Her father was a stone carver. She campaigned Italian. Nobody saw that. You know, it wasn't fitting the general. And uh, it wrapped up to where five days before the election, the most politically prominent. Paper in the state had a big front page headline, Poll Dooms Leahy. That was 35 points. That that wasn't too, that was a kind of uncomfortable weekend. And five days later, Leahy unexpectedly wins. Uh, And I thought, even if I'm there just for one term, this is a dream. I'm going down there and make the most of it. And then I saw how it worked. I saw who the good senators were, both Republicans and Democrats. You could get things done working with them. And I did, ran again, and I never thought I'd be there this long.
0: Well, I think one of, one of the things that can make people um, a better senators, I don't, I don't, from my perspective, one of the things that turns people off about some politicians is that they are, they, they seem really needy. Like they, like they just will do anything to stay in office, and the ability to say to yourself, "Hey, if this gets me, you know, not elected next time, fine, but I'm going to do what I think is right here," um, is is something that I, I I worry is lacking sometimes in our elected officials. Uh, that ability to say, "I'm just happy I'm here. I'm going to do try to do the right thing." Um, and not just say whatever I have to say to get reelected um, is is something that I think the public can kind of gauge from our from our public officials is that uh, do you attribute some of your success to your ability to uh, to go back to practicing law or doing something else? The idea
1: uh, the idea of uh, going back home to Vermont full- time looking out over the mountains and the lakes being able to walk down the street knowing half the people by name, that's, that's not a terrible thing to end, to end up with. So I, I never, I mean, I love being in the Senate. I, I've enjoyed the people I've met, most of them, most of them. And uh, I've enjoyed what I've been able to accomplish. But going home, like I announced last fall, they're not going to run again. Everybody said, well, are you having any second thoughts? I said we're having joyful thoughts
0: <laughs> that uh,
1: uh, that we're going home, and if you come here thinking, "Oh, I've got to watch every single boat," uh, you're not affected. You're not.
0: Well, one thing that you say, and I'm just going to tie into a, an audience question here, but one thing that you come back to a couple of times in the book is uh, a quote by Edmund Burke. Um, who said, uh, your representative owes you, not his industry only, but his judgment. This is to voters. Your representative owes you, voters, not his industry only, but his judgment, and that a representative ought not sacrifice to you, voters, his conscience. And um, one of the audience questions here is, um, how has your concept of conscious conscience evolved throughout your time in public office?
1: I think I felt it right from the start. For example, it's hard for people to think about this now, but the time I I was elected, the majority of people in Vermont supported the Vietnam War. I did not. And i have been here just a few months, and there was going to be a vote in the committee I was on to whether we continue money for the war or not. Nobody from the state of Vermont, even if they express concerns about the war, nobody ever voted to stop the war. Uh, our state's largest newspaper told me I'd be a one-term senator if I voted to stop the war. Well, with me, as a matter of conscience, I voted to stop it. There's five votes in a row. Each one of them, by a one-vote margin, was to stop the war. I was told I would never be reelected because of that. I said, well, if you're not going to be reelected because of a vote, boy, that's a good one. That's a good one to stake your, and, and I quoted Edmund Burke, the quote you just used. When I voted that way, uh, I voted, I, uh, quoted Edmund Burke. And that's been my motto all the way through. I mean, I, I've cast over 17,000 votes. I could go back and somebody could say, What about vote number 12,300? You know, make up a number. And I might look at it and say, What the heck was I thinking? I screwed up with that vote. But at least the time when I voted, I thought it was the right thing to do.
0: And um, one person asks here uh, in your memoir, you talk about your freshman senatorial experience and say that you wish you were able to savor it more. Uh, What do you mean by? you wish you could have or had savored it more?
1: Well, I was trying to juggle so many things. A young family, which I, I cherish, uh, flying back and forth to to Vermont, trying to learn the ins and outs of issues and didn't take enough time to step back and say, look, some of this stuff can wait a bit. Just watch where you are. Look at Look at Washington, D.C., walk through uh, the Smithsonian and some of the historical buildings, sit down, go and listen to arguments in the Supreme Court, take advantage of all the things that you might not have been able to do otherwise. And then later, I realized that there are a lot of things going on that I was saying, well, boy, next year I'm going to do that. I said, wait a minute, next year might not be here. Let's start doing it. done more of that, and I feel better doing it. And so I, I urge every uh, new senator to do that, either either party. I also tell them if you've got family or a young family, don't neglect their things. Uh, I mean, I, I now have, our kids have grown up, have kids of their own, every so often they'll say, hey, Dad, remember that time you, Left a committee meeting early to come to watch my softball game. That was thirty years before, but they remembered, and you have to you have to take
0: time for that. Well, tell me about your decision to to retire essentially, or to 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 not run for re-election. Um, you write in the book about conversations that you had with other people who were thinking of retiring, either from the Supreme Court or from the Senate. What about your decision to not seek another term?
1: Is it, I had turned down a lot of jobs that pay a heck of a lot more, and I, I knew I'd be bored out of my mind. Uh, no, we... Marcel and I have been married a long time. We just celebrated our 60th... Uh, Wedding anniversary. We we like to scuba dive. We like to hike. We like to travel, and I said, "Let's before time runs out. Let's let's spend time to do that. Spend time, take our children, take our grandchildren on trips, and do so. Uh, we've enjoyed all this, uh, but let's have time that's just ours now, and." Also, uh, I figure I'm at the height of my abilities here in the Senate. I've seen some people stay too long, and, and they, they should have left when they did. And I respect those who could have easily been reelected as I could have, who said, no, I've, I've done my turns. It's somebody else's. So, and then I think writing the book kind of help to go back to the memories.
0: Uh, have you, uh, forgive me, I'm not as up on Vermont politics, but have you chosen a successor or endorsing someone who's going to be running for your seat?
1: Hey, no, that's a good question. I couldn't and wouldn't choose but I've had people who uh, acted like they could choose who should be in my, my seat. Um, they all lost. I, I don't think Vermonters... Would want me to do that. Uh, the, the, uh, the nominee from our party is now our state's own congressman, Peter Watts, who's done a very good job, and he will be elected, and I will help him on the on the campaign trail. Um, we have a sort of a um, Trump ad- advocate who moved to the state two years ago. They're not going to make it. You know, we've become a unique state. We've been solely a Republican state. In the last election, uh, a Republican governor was elected overwhelmingly. And a Democratic uh, person, she was elected lieutenant governor. So we had a re- uh republican male as governor uh democratic uh woman as uh lieutenant governor and people in vermont said yeah that 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 works so and uh
0: yeah you don't see that much anymore you don't see that much anymore montana i think still splits tickets but yeah it's really hard to find places where people are are being that thoughtful about
1: But but it also makes our, you know, our little state faces the problems everybody else does, everything from housing, health care, extreme weather, not like California has been getting with the uh, fires and all, but we, the fact that we can come together and do things without rancor has made it much better. Uh, And also makes it a welcoming, we were both, both Marcel and I were born there, make it very welcoming to come back.
0: I wanted to ask you about, so one of the things that's great about the book for for y'all watching is that um, because Senator Leahy's been there for so long, it's really just sort of a front row seat to uh, huge, huge uh, events in American history that um, I certainly watched from, you know, the comfort of my living room. But being there and being evacuated at, on 9/11 and 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 experiencing other um, other events uh, is is really really great uh, great reading. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, Ken Starr recently passed away, as I'm sure you saw, and you were part of the because you were there, you were in the Senate, you were part of the impeachment hearings that he participated in. Can you tell us what you remember about that and about uh, Mr. Anything you want to say about Mr. Starr?
1: Well, we had both. uh, He was there for the Clinton impeachment and then came back for the uh, uh, to defend Donald Trump on his impeachment. I was never a fan of Kenneth Starr, God rest his soul. because I felt that he postured more than than actually acted on things. And I, you know, he was uh, continued way beyond what the investigation might have been of Clinton's. He, and I'm not excusing anything, that President Clinton, he's a good friend. I, admire a lot of things he did, I did not approve of. Thing that uh, Starr went after him for, but it was not an impeachable f- offense. And, But it, it spoke, of uh, Starr said, do this from a sense of morality. Now, when he was a chancellor of a uh, university, he closed his eyes to uh, uh, a lot of sexual abuse and all going on in that cam- campus. And I've always been bothered by that double standard on, on his part. Uh, he seemed to be in it more for how it affected him and what kind of glory he'd get out of it uh, than he was in what was best for the country. Uh, you know, I was, I was a prosecutor. I prosecuted Democrats and Republicans, but I prosecuted I thought they committed a crime. I never believed his sincerity. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's the way I felt.
0: Um, we have a question from the audience. Um, this person writes, it's amazing that you and your wife have been married for 60 years, what uh, or over 60 years. What advice would you give for a happy marriage?
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm amazed, too, that she's put up with me this long. And, uh, maybe that's because she's a nurse and says, well, this is a badly flawed person. I'll try to take care of him. But we, we've been fortunate. Uh, we were very much in love when we first met. Uh, we're married. She worked as a nurse while I was going through law school. Uh, we've always done things together. We've always made our decisions together. And, if you have something you disagree on, work it out. Never, never uh, end a day where you're anchored each other. Uh, and we haven't. But it, as she said, when she was asked, marry your best friend. And and she really is. We, we go scuba diving together. We go hiking together. We've traveled. She's been different parts of the world with me. She's gone to all the war zones I've gone with. Uh, where we're using the Leahy war veterans fund to get prosthetics for people who have lost a limb which requires a uh, or in too dramatic detail they have to be amputated to fit fit it she'll go in the operating room and she'll she'll help i mean she's been admired in some of these third world nations where Uh, People have been so badly, badly injured for the work she's done.
0: I think you wrote that Fidel Castro liked her too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, we, uh, you and I got into a discussion of ice cream. So, you know, we have the finest ice cream in the world. I said, oh, we got Ben and Jerry's. And uh, he said, I said, I'll send you something. He said, I don't care. Like that. Well, on the way out, he grabbed Marcel's arm. He said, if he sends the ice cream, be sure to pack it in dry ice. <laughs> you know, Ben Cohen or Ben and Jerry's old revolutionary himself, he was ready to fly it down and uh, discuss the revolution with Fidel. <laughs> we had to use all kinds of things to get past the embargo and get it, get it to him. But... Uh,
0: uh, we've got a question here. It says, um, what do you think is the most pressing challenge facing our country? I if you had to pick one of many. <laughs> no, I'm sure well, many. I
1: could pick a lot, of course. I mean, we got everything from health care and education to the environment. But I think overall, the, the divisions we're seeing in our country, a lot of that came out at what happened on January 6th, the storming of the Capitol where people won't trust each other, where they, you gotta be all this way or all that way. That's not what the history of the country has been. The one time it was, we had a civil war, which damaged us for generations thereafter. There is some would like to see states break off from each other. No, the reason we've been so strong is we're the United States of America and going into extreme partisanship of either side. I think that's a great danger to the US because it's only when we come together that we tackle the problems of climate change. Uh, We work to help this state that gets hurt by forest fires to this one by flooding. We come together on that and understand that if we're going to educate children, we really educate them, not think that we have to have a very strict only this only these things should be learned. No, we have so much to learn. Um, Heck, I, I I was lucky I had my first library card runs four and uh a librarian who encouraged us to read. And that uh open up so many worlds. I mean, I grew up in Montpelier, Vermont. It's 8,500 people. It's our capital, but it's 8,500. And it's the biggest city for miles around. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I get diversity of thought and don't believe that anybody's got the one true thought.
0: Uh, you know, it's hard. One of the things you write about, actually, really movingly is about um, certain events that you witnessed or uh, not, not, you weren't there, but you were um, sort of in the mix, you know, practicing law when JFK gets assassinated, it gets assassinated. RFK gets assassinated. Martin Luther King gets assassinated, and it, it's hard to gauge because those things seem, ex- you know, and are extraordinary. And so today, we're not seeing that kind of violence, right? We don't have the the Weather Underground bombing people, but but um, but it's a different kind of, of of fraying that's happening today. How do you, you know? Are we are these just apples and oranges, or um, was that just another you know time that we got through, and maybe we can get through this one too? I'm just trying to understand. You've seen a lot of social upheaval uh, in, in in your lifetime, and how do you assess uh, the sort of two, uh, if at least two, uh, yeah, areas of that?
1: Sometimes there are a wave of things, but what I, I worry about is the amount of uh, racial. Of violence and shootings, the uh, the number of shootings, mass shootings, I see today. When, when I was a prosecutor, it was very unusual to have somebody get shot. I, and I went to and killed. I went to all those murder scenes, but it's a very tiny amount. Now there'll be uh, a dozen in a in a mass shooting. And then the ones that are racially uh motivated. I remember uh one of my uh grandchildren, he's biracial, uh wonderful uh now now a sixteen year old, but he's he eight or nine years old after one of these racial shootings, walking home in one of the safest areas of this country. In tears, cut walking home from school, he said, Well, they shoot me walking to school because I'm black. Uh I don't care if you're black, brown, white, no child should have to worry about that. And then you see what happened in Texas, you see these other places. That that really worries me. Uh and you know I've I've been a gun owner. Uh I was on the rifle team in college, I earned my Letter in college and that, uh, but this proliferation of people having weapons you normally just see on a on a uh, battlefield. Uh, we'd better face up to this. No, no country shows this violence unless they're at war.
0: Um, we have a another question here, and I'm sure you get this a lot, but we'd love to hear your your comments on the. Filibuster, the pros and cons. And I'll just say, so one of the things that worries me about the filibuster is that people, there have been people who called for like the elimination of the Senate. I mean, there, it, I worry that it might do damage to the institution. Um, and it might give people the wrong idea about the institution. That's really I'm less concerned about, like the 60 vote thing, than than am like the frustration that people have with it and how it can impact potentially their view of the Senate as a whole um, and and the validity of it. So, can you can you talk a little bit about your perspective?
1: Sure. I, I hear that a lot. When I came first came here, the uh, filibuster was far more. Tr- took far more votes to overcome than it was locked in there because uh, some of the southern senators used that to block any civil rights laws. I was part of a small group to change the number, uh, dramatically diminish the number of senators to stop it. And that worked pretty well. It became a very rare thing. But now, when you see, you might see it two or three times in a year. Now, when you see it forty or fifty times, just as a delaying tactic, instead of just not wanting to, have to actually stand on the floor and debate something, then that that's wrong, and that's got to be changed. Uh, there have been. Times when it's been used to protect people from, or, or protect us from having extreme legislation on either side, but I would argue that have a free debate. People are going to be able to watch it, come up with your amendments and vote them up or down. I don't think we're going to see the crazy wacko ones on either the right or the left if you're going to stand up and defend it. So the, uh, the use of the filibuster today is greatly abused, and we have to find some way to change that.
0: Maybe require the actual filibustering,
1: the, instead uh, of- It would be a lot less of the people, instead of running off to see what uh, uh, tweets they can get out or what news show they can go on, they actually had to stay in there and do the debating there'd be a heck of a lot less.
0: Uh, This person asks, is there a skill or quality that you've developed over the years that you wish you had had at the start of your political career? Um, And and so what is that?
1: I think I wish I had known the legislative process even better. Remember, I'd been a, a lawyer, a trial lawyer, a prosecutor. I thought I knew that very well. I'd never served in a legislative body, and I found that there were a lot of things, and it took me a while to figure out the intricate uh, uh, set of rules. I, now, because I preside so often over the Senate, I know them very, very well, but I wish I had known them better when I first came to the Senate. I'm, but you know what? I'll tell you one good thing, though, about the Senate. And this is what I love about it. I feel I'm learning something every day, even after 48 years. I read hundreds of pages of memos written by people. I mean, a lot of issues coming up. I say, okay, I want your best memos why this should be supported and the best memos why it should not be supported. And I learn so much. It's like having a graduate course every year. And, and things, and that I, that I do appreciate. And I, I didn't realize it could be that way when I first came here. But, uh, developing very, very good staff. I joke that senators are merely a constitutional impediments to their staffs, but I've had such great ones, uh, that you learn every single day. It's graduate school on steroids sometimes. <laughs>
0: Well, that's that's actually a great segue into this next question from our audience, which is, um, what do you think you will miss the most about political life, and what do you, what will you miss the least? What won't you miss about uh, about being in politics?
1: I, I will miss sort of having a, uh, my favorite courses from either law school or or undergraduate school almost every day, in, in the issues that come forward in the wonderful people who are showing me all these in, in the argument. That that I will miss. Uh, fortunately, some of my favorite newspapers and other media things I can have online wherever I am in, in Vermont. And I'll be doing things with our university. So some of that will be there. What I won't miss is the rancor and the um, politicization I've seen from so so many members. I I, um, won't miss the the deterioration of debate that I see. I'm hoping my book will be one little nudge to people go back to the way it used to be. It doesn't mean you have to agree on everything. You're gonna have different issues than you had then but approach them in a way of trying to find out what is the solution, not for your political future, but what's the best solution for the country?
0: Um, well, we also have a question here that is, and you talk in the book uh, about great advice that you got throughout your career from various sources, but this person asks, what's the best piece of personal or professional advice that you got? Uh, and who is that from?
1: Keep your word. And that was from Mike Mansfield when I first came there. He said, uh, think what you're going to think, what you're going to agree to, but then keep your word. Don't lie. Tell the truth.
0: Um, well, I hope you'll tell us the truth about Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein. You talk a little bit in the book about the uh, the year they were elected and the Senate got a, a bit more diverse. Um, were you able to work with any, you know, we're Californians. We would love some, uh, some any anecdotes or uh, or or observations about California's senators, either Boxer or Feinstein, Harris, um, th- that you have.
1: I like them all. I've traveled with them. We, we've... Uh... Uh, had meals together, we, we ch- talk, we joke. It's probably just as well there hasn't been a microphone in the room when we've, we've been there with our spouses. Of course, Diane lost her husband here recently who had a great sense of humor. And, no, I, I felt lucky to be able to serve with all three of them I asked Kamala Harris to come on the Judiciary Committee when I was chair, and she did. And just a remarkable uh, uh, legal mind. And one who did not, uh, when people would come there uh, testify for the committee, thinking they could know her or pull one over on her, whoo, the rest of would sit back say, just watch. <laughs> and so, know I, 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 I like them all. And, uh, uh, our spouses got along well. And I think California did pretty well besides which I, when I came there as an all male, uh, body and, and we improved considerably. When we started getting women in there. And I, I've encouraged that for example, the, First time I had a chance to be chair of appropriations, uh, realized it never had a woman as chair. The next in line was a woman. I passed up being chair and said another committee, so we could finally have a woman for the first time. I did the same thing on the agriculture committee, and then when I uh, had my choice of being the senior Democrat on Judiciary or on appropriations, I stepped aside so Diane could be the senior Democrat. Again, because there'd never been a woman in that position on judiciary. And I tried very, very hard uh encouraged I've campaigned for women all over the uh all over the country. And I, I think we're going to be adding a woman as a member of the House representatives, we get all of one. <laughs> Even though when we joined the, the union, <clears throat> Vermont had more people than California had. When it joined the union, all you had was hundreds of miles of coastline, gold, silver, uh, great grazing area, and everything else. So you probably brought more to the country than we did at that time.
0: Uh, but no, no, Vermont is a very important part of the Union and the 14th state, uh, as we were, as we were talking about a little earlier. Um, I wanted to ask you also about, um, Batman. <laughs> we gotta talk about this because this kind of, I'm reading your book and it's beautiful and it's this, you know, sweeping look at history. And then there's this, <laughs> this way that you got yourself into five Batman movies? Can you, can you talk a little
1: bit about that? Well, it's sort of by accident, you know, as I said, I started reading at uh, my first library card kind of when I was four. Uh, I read all Dickens and Mark Twain and everything else. But I also, I knew what day the new issue of whatever comics came to a local uh, store and I'd be there. And I always liked Batman. And I practically memorized them, and by coincidence, talking to the people who published Batman, they talked about something uh but I said, "No, no, in uh, the spring of nineteen forty six about the fourth page, uh he did something entirely different, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, They go back in the archives says, "Damn, he's right or dying, he's right and uh so that led to the writing the preface to, uh, they had a 40-year uh, anthology of it, and I wrote that. And uh, then they asked me to uh, be the voice of one of these animated Batman things and pay a lot of money. And I said, sure, I'll do it if you give the money not to me but to the children's library in Montpelier where I first had to it. Anyway, I had a great deal of fun with that. Then they asked me to be in some of the regular Batman movies. Again, I did with the stipulation we'd give the money to the children's library, and uh, the we now have a beautiful new library <laughs> attached to the for everything from children who are
0: the the Bruce Wayne no. library. <laughs> uh, it's just
1: part of the. Main library, but there is a little bat signal up in the ceiling. And I don't want to bore you with this, but I was volunteering at a reading hour of these four and five, six year olds. I got stuck on a question. I grabbed my cell phone. I said, "I'm stuck on a question. I need your help. Are you nearby?" Door opens and a burst of smoke. In walks Batman. Here's these four, five, six year olds. He couldn't. He couldn't figure out the question but they figured it out for him. And so he goes, I want to thank you children. Oh, you're welcome, Mr. Batman.
0: (laughs) What a fun thing.
1: (laughs) I just wondered when they went home, oh, Batman, uh, certainly he was here, but most importantly, Batman came in.
0: Uh, That's what they remember. (laughs) Yeah, really.
1: (laughs) It was fun.
0: What a, fun, what a fun
1: skit. That sounds really Joe, you know, I do a lot of photography. Always have. I've loved watching how they make these movies. I mean, sometimes for a 30-second part, they may take five or six hours to get all the angles. So I, I've enjoyed as much walking around talking to the photographers. How do you get the right lighting? What do you do with this and that? And, you know, it can, uh, uh, we had, uh, Heath Ledger played the Joker, had a knife to my throat after I told him we're not intimidated by thugs. And they said, well, were you scared by him? I said, I've seen scarier guys in the, (laughs) in the Senate, which was a dumb thing to say because the first question the press said, oh, which Senator is scarier?
0: Yeah, who? Um the um I actually that ties in nicely to a question here from the audience. It says there there have been many movies and TV series about the political scene in Washington DC. Do you have a favorite one or one that comes closest to being real?
1: I liked West Wing. Some people thought it was too uh too stylized, but I I thought that was I thought that was good. I I enjoyed uh watching it. And some of the things you see, I'm like, you just couldn't do this. And then sometimes when I get home, I just do not watch a, <laughs> uh, a show. But uh, i i have seen I've seen many that, that were well done, but I kind of like West Wing. Uh, some thought it was corny. I thought it was great.
0: Uh, this person wants to know: Is there a quality that you and Batman share, or some maybe something about Batman that is that appeals to you the most? Is it just toys? You like gadgets?
1: No, I I think that the fact that he he has no superpowers like the Superman and all these others, he has to use his uh his mind. His body is obviously in better shape than I am, but. Uh, Thanks. he had to use his mind he had to figure out and he had a, a sense of, uh, justice and what's right. Uh, the fact that he, he did his mental powers were always one step ahead of everybody out. That, that appealed to me. Uh,
0: and we have this person who wants to- I like, I like
1: the car too. <laughs> And i've actually i've actually been in one of them or a couple of them
0: you got to be in one was it the one um that goes upside down
1: uh, you had know, to flip up like this It was in the last couple of batman movies It's, it's almost like a take, but it's a lot smaller than it looks and i'm I'm well over six feet tall, so that was a bit of a
0: have you ever used your height uh like a like uh like l b j to kind of Tower over someone and squeeze their hand really hard until they <laughs> until they agree with you.
1: It came in handy trying cases as a prosecutor, uh, and I didn't realize it at first, but it really did. And uh, I, I'm glad I'm tall.
0: <laughs> um, we, uh, I want to ask you two quick questions. One is um, before we wrap up here. Um, one is this is from the audience they want to know for those of us who live on the west coast and have never been to Vermont um what is the one thing that we should you know that someone visiting Vermont should see or do
1: Well in my state there one driving through the mountains is is beautiful but I love going along the shores of Lake Champlain that's uh about the largest lake in the country outside of the great lakes it goes borders new york and vermont it goes the length of vermont and goes up into canada i mean you can get on that you can take a boat and go up to the atlantic ocean uh it uh i think it is absolutely absolutely beautiful and there's if they want to know more about it, there's a uh a, a center right on Lake Champlain in Burlington, and they'll give you all the history from back to when it was, uh, they had, it was a salt lake out there, probably the in- Inland Oceans. They had fossils of whales and sharks and everything else. But, and then just stop at a small country store and just talk to the people. That's what's going on. You, you, you learn a lot.
0: <laughs> Better than a poll for sure. Uh, we have one last question and this is something that, um, a viewer submitted, um, forgive me viewer. I know you submitted it a while back, but I was holding it until the end. I wanted it to be the last question. Uh, and that is, um, what, what gives you the most hope for America?
1: Some of the letters I get from around the country, uh, the book has only been out for a couple of weeks, but some of the letters I've gotten from people, total strangers to me, say, you give us hope. we got to start working together. We've got to start listening to people we might not agree with. And and that gives me hope.
0: Oh, well, that's, that's really lovely. I'm glad to hear there are people out there who, who hear your message and... Uh, and, and it resonates with them. And want to thank you so much, Senator Leahy, who is still a senator and took time out of his day to be here with us. So we really, really appreciate that. His book is A Road Taken, a memoir. And we encourage everyone to pick up a copy at your local bookstore. If you want to watch more programs or support the Commonwealth Club's efforts to make virtual and in-programming possible, please visit thecommonwealthclub.org slash events. I'm Melissa Kane. Thank you, Senator Leahy, and thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to CommonwealthClub.org/slash/donate.